show on climate change. Brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. All right. Well, let's let, let's 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 keep it going. I mean, I think that was pretty good. Right, Vic? What do you think? Yeah, I think we did it. Well, <laughs> let, let's bring up our next guest. Uh, come on up here, Thomas Lopez. Give it up for Thomas Lopez, y'all. Woo! Well, Tomas, tell us about yourself. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Ebene, Tlaso Kamatli, Omenteo, Anpetuaste. My name is Tomas Lopez Jr. Um, my mother is Waterwoman Sharon Dominguez. Uh, my father is Sundance Chief Tomas Lopez Sr. And my grandfather is Chief of Chiefs Leonard Crowdog Sr. Um, I am Mexica Otomi, Diné, Apache, and Chichangu Lakota. Uh, I have been an, a warrior and what now people call an activist, um, a water protector, a land defender, um, really just altogether a very <laughs> angsty person, I guess, my whole life. I've always really questioned everything that was thrown at me. And um, you can ask my parents, you know, I, it was very hard to get me to go with, you know, the conformity of this society. And so when I, I, I was really, um, I went through the public school system, like most POC. I grew Tell up in, them where? Tell them where. Uh, so I actually went, uh, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, um, uh, inner city. Uh, but I got a really interesting like upbringing because on one hand, I was raised in a pretty traditional indigenous um, environment at home where I would go uh, at home and we would be burning sage, cedar. I would hear the water drum, the mm -hmm. gourds, our songs at night. We have our inipi and our, our ceremonies in our backyard and... You know we we are um, we are we are somewhat traditional people, but at the same time we're we're urban indigenous people as well. So we we do have to operate by what what is surrounding us. And so um, I say I like to tell people I have dual citizenship and I got to live the best of both worlds. I love that. Yeah, it was it was a really amazing experience and. Um, I really want to. I really want to make sure I say this. I am not from the reservation. I cannot speak and will not speak for my young people who are living on reservations because they have their own story that they need to tell, and it is not my place, nor will it ever be my place, to tell their story for them. Um, but I went to Denver School of the Arts when I was in middle school, and I had a really, really hard time. Uh, I, I ended up staying there for seven years and I graduated as a senior in high school. And I remember really specifically one year, my teacher coming up to me and saying, man, thank God we've got you. You bring us a lot of money. Wow. And it was a really interesting thing, you know, not really understanding as a kid that I was being tokenized, that I was being used, that I, they weren't actually accepting me into this program as like, for my talent, they were accepting me because they knew that their diversity levels were very low and they needed to make a change quickly. So it was a very unauthentic kind of experience, but I, I loved it. And the people that I met there were, were absolutely beautiful. Um, it wasn't until college when I really started to understand why I was, why I always felt this way. Why anytime I stepped into a school or a public system or any type of institution, I felt 
ah, like I didn't belong. And it's, well, because I don't belong. This, these societies, these institutions were not made for us. They were made for white males. And so whenever we step into spaces like this, it can be rather difficult for us. On top of that, I began to learn about the experiences of the boarding schools and how a lot of our, our elders were actually institutionalized. Yep. Most of them were um, were severely sexually abused. They were beat. Many of them didn't survive. Tomas, for people who are listening, who may not, because you just said a lot of great things there. But on that note, explain that his, that part of America that people don't get about the boarding schools and the indigenous people in this country. Uh, absolutely. R- realistically, this is something that can be that really not only indigenous people, but the, the black community, uh, the uh, Latino communities, all, all of these different marginalized communities can kind of understand because when, first of all, what people need to understand is that the U.S. government actually lost the Indian Wars. It's called the Battle of Little Bighorn, where the Sioux people, the Lakota people actually beat uh, Custer at the at the um, Custer's last stand, um, and so from there they began to try to make things better, and they came up with this concept of save the man, kill the Indian. And so what they did was they began going into, and a lot of this was um, sanctioned by the Christian and Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. Um, what they began to do is uh, a lot of our a lot of our people had already begun to. Um, be put on reservations. And once that started happening, they kind of lost some of their culture, a little bit of their identity, and a lot of them weren't living traditionally. So what they would do is they would send in mercenaries to come in and take the children from their parents. And when they would take these kids from their parents, they would take them to these boarding schools. Um, One of the most violent um, and one of the most horrific schools that actually, I'm pretty sure still exists today is, no, no, it did shut down. But the last one actually shut down, I believe, in the 80s, um, was the Carlisle Indian School. And if you go and you research Carlisle, um, you are going to find really, to me, what is the essence of American history. Um, You will see uh, what's going on right now in terms of um, kidnapping kids and putting them in cages. That's been happening since the birth of this nation. That is nothing new, and it should not shock any of us that this is happening. It's Mm -hmm. been happening. So what they would do with these kids is they would kidnap them from their parents, basically. Um, They would take them, and if they resisted, they would just kill them. Um, They would take them to these schools. They would cut their hair, and they would tell them that they could no longer speak their language. And if they, in fact, spoke their language, they would be severely beaten, they would lose limbs, or they would just be killed. Um, They were also assigned new names. Um, Many of the names that you um, find on reservations um, do not sound indigenous. A lot of them are names from colonizers Mm -hmm. because they were names that were given to them by the churches. My last name is Lopez. I'm not Spaniard, but I carry that name because my my grandfather's father was Apache. And he stepped away from the picture. And when he did that, my aunties were like, Oh my God, those Indios, you know, like, uh, they're bad. Those Indios, you don't, we don't, we're, we're Americans or we're, we're Mexicanos. We're not Mm -hmm. Indians because of the fear of being beaten, the fear of being murdered. And so, uh, my, my grand, great grandmother passed away and my auntie, um, adopted my, my, my grandfather and my, uh, his brother. 
And when she did that, she was married to uh, Don Lopez, and he owned that valley that was there. And um, back then, when you owned land, you owned the um, things that were on it, um, which included the people that were there. Because at that time, indigenous people were not considered human. I told us that we know that story too now. Yeah. So, um, so that's where my name comes from, and a lot of us have that. So understanding that this, I have this deep trauma with school. And how actually, how dangerous public school can really be because I didn't learn any of this. I didn't know any of this until I had to leave the public school system and find it out on my own. And that idea, when I, once I realized that everything that I had been taught up until that point was a lie, that's when I started to understand my feelings, why it is it's coming from. And oh. I just want to say this. What you're saying there, and I want Vic, I want you to hop in here. What, Thomas, what you're saying here is actually very important. And it's, and I'm, first of all, I'm just happy you're here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, welcome, welcome, as you can tell. Welcome to Three 1%, the coolest show on climate change. Hell and yeah. As you can tell, this is a forum where we can just have this conversation. Yes. And, these, we, and, and we can chop it up. These are, this is the stuff that like, this is my favorite kind of stuff to be Well, we going, like, where yeah. we going, where we going to get to your favorite kind of stuff. Um <laughs> But I say that because um, one of the things, even, and we're going to, I know you have some some, some ideas about the movement and about just the whitewashing of the movement and other things that climbing, we're going to get to all of that. Yeah, yeah. But what I want to say, what you just said is very important because I think a lot of people don't understand, even for those who are coming to this movement and, um, and they hear these things, they realize that they, a large part of their history was taken away mm-hmm. and they, they, weren't, they weren't taught that. And so what you're saying is a very important, and it does build us a, a lot of mistrust because you begin to wonder then that why is this? And then it begins to make sense with an extracting type of community that wants to extract things and just take things. Certain things make sense. So what you're saying there definitely goes in flow. But with that, Vic, go ahead. Yeah. I, well, hearing you talk was like, I was just sitting here like, yes, yep. <laughs> um, I'm Afro-Indigenous. I'm Afro-Latino. I'm trans. I know all about the angst from the <laughs> we times. Yeah. Um, and I know also that sometimes when talking to people, trying to share those stories, especially in the movement, in a movement that's so white, and a lot of the times we're really trying to get their attention, you know? I, I'm hearing you talk, hearing how strong you are. I'm wondering how you navigate this area of storytelling and not bump into that white fragility, white guilt that kind of just shuts <laughs> down instead of creates action. You know, like, how, how do you navigate that reality? Because I know being an environmental activist, sometimes when I walk into rooms and the first thing I talk about is my identity, I can already tell people are kind of, like, a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Or, you know, shut down mode. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like when your mom, like, slaps you on the hand and instead of, you just, like, you're just quiet, you don't answer back. So I, I'm really curious as to how you navigate that. Because I hear in your voice that you're a very strong person. I'm sure that intimidates a lot of <laughs> white people yeah. with who we need to be communicating to all the time in this movement. So, Yeah, so I think for me, and, and I don't know if this was done at the beginning of the show, but it's, it's, re- it's a knowing where you are, mm-hmm. knowing whose land you're on. Mm-hmm. We are currently on Arapahoe Cheyenne land. These are this is their sacred land. These flat irons belonged to them. They were sacred to them at one point. And understanding and having that sense of self, that sense of grounding, that grounding to Unshimaka, the honoring of the people that came before me, it's almost as if I just don't 
care. Snaps. <laughs> I just don't care. I, I, I'm on my land. I'm in my home. I, my people are buried here. My grandmother is buried at, at, at Sand Creek. And, and, I, and for me to be afraid, to be fearful, to, 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 take, to bring myself down in a place where my ancestors still walk, their spirits are still here, it just doesn't seem right to me. The other thing is, is that in my experience with growth and change and, you know, trying to become a, a new, a different person and fixing things is that change is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I never once have experienced a, 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 a time of great change or growth where I didn't ball my eyes out, you know, and, and. What I really, what I really want my white allies to know is that if you are not uncomfortable, something's wrong, because we are uncomfortable all the, all time. the time, all the time, <laughs> all the time, and we have been uncomfortable. We have been uncomfortable for centuries, and if 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 what your issue is is that you just don't want to be uncomfortable, well, then you should just give up now because there is an entire there is an entire like group of people who are just that uncom that that uncomfortability it just it, they're like no I don't want to be uncomfortable I paid money to be comfortable and it's just like you know I, I tell people when I teach these white allyship um trainings like I want everybody to know right now we're about to get really uncomfortable and like you can make your little shift now, you know, just do it now so that we can get it out of the way because we're going to, we're going to break down some barriers here and we're going to start being honest with ourselves because at the end of the day, that's where the change is really going to be, is going to be made is when we're not, we're being honest with ourselves. So... Tomas, let me say this, but you are a hip-hop caucus all day long. <laughs> let me be very clear on that, man. I, I, you know, I've heard about you. I just met you for this for for this this conversation. But man, you know, man, I got much feeling for you here. You know Wait I mean? till you hear what my favorite song is. Oh, well, well, yeah, 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 yeah. We will we, we, we get there. We don't get there. I, listen, I, man, I am. Cause we about to go in. I'm so excited. So Vic, I actually just want to piggyback on something you just said, and I kind of want Tomas to kind of follow up. You just mentioned something that's very important, that you were struck by the power of Tomas. And that almost is something there that actually hurts me. Because to see a person of color, an indigenous person, is almost like this system, this movement, is intended to beat you down so that when you talk, you almost have to bow your head to white people. That's crazy because we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be the case. And, if you're, and for you as a young person, I'm just like, wow. So I need you to kind of just unpack that because mm-hmm. we got a lot of folks who are from, you know, listen, think 100%, you know, who are part of the Gen Z, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and from and the millennials, and so the, you know they 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 hear what you're saying, but they, you might need to unpack that a mm-hmm. little bit more. And then Tomas, I want you to chime in. Like, what's that mean? Like, why would you be in a movement of people who are saving the planet 
and you feel uncomfortable with the people who are trying to save the planet. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Yeah. It should be the most the most loving movement on the planet. <laughs> How can you be in a movement that's trying to save the planet and you have, and to my, to my said, you have folks who are literally so uncomfortable and with even being challenged that they begin to then, in essence, attack you. Mm-hmm. So break that down. What do you mean? You mentioned something. I know there's a book out that's called uh, White Fragility, right? Mm-hmm. What do you? What does that? What does that mean? What is white? What is white fragility? Yeah. So, uh, white fragility basically like you know trying to call in, call out a white person, and instead of responding productively, usually just break down. They just break down or kind of want to end the conversation. And I mean, I know for me, like being a child of like first generation immigrants who like spent so much time trying. To, my parents didn't teach me Spanish because I don't think they realized that maybe in 10, 15 years that that would be maybe something that people wanted for me to be able to speak Spanish. To them, they were just like, why would we do that? We want our kid to be American, you know? And I think growing up in an area that was 98% white and conservative, like every day was just like zip up, sit in the corner of the room, don't say anything. Um, There's just so many things in this world that socializes people of color, especially like I'm a trans man, but being raised and socialized a woman, that's just like, don't cross people really, like don't speak out. And I think that really becoming an activist in that six year transformation, it's still like a journey every day to remind myself to like that I have a voice and I could step up. And people are usually, I mean, I'm often on the stage and talking and like have to try to exude confidence but it is really uncomfortable like you're saying I'm uncomfortable all the time (laughs) um I spent being 16 17 in environments like COP21 or the World Economic Forum or Aspen Ideas those aren't environments where you see other black and brown people and it's not environments where at the time when I was 16 or 17 I was surrounded by rich white capitalists that I was I was thinking to call them out if anything I was trying to get some funding for my nonprofit or things like that so I think that really it's just that socialization and even like going to high school in New York City there was a lot of me too that kind of didn't realize how much I needed to say Mm. it wasn't until um I left that bubble of being in the West Village, of being in New York City, of going to a mostly white private school on scholarship, That and I moved to Wisconsin, that I was like, oh, I'm black, and I need to be able to talk about that and call people out when they screw me over for it. Or, oh, I'm Latino, and I need to be able to talk about that, because all of a sudden, it wasn't an option to just sit down. I mean, I my first year in Madison, I got called the N-word at a Quidoba. And coming from West, the West Village of New York City, I was just, I, I had this moment like in my chest. I was like, did that just, did I just, how do I, what do I, now if I like, I didn't say anything. Now, if that happened, it would be a way different scenario because I've kind of had to toughen up and in entering into that real world, you know, that's not that liberal bubble that I got to enjoy when I was learning to become myself. Wow. Yeah. Who are you on that? Yeah. Um, so I actually want to point out a, a really big flaw in our own com- my own community that I, we don't talk about very often, but it's something that really needs to be identified and really needs to be um, fixed ASAP. And that is um, there is a lot of anti-blackness in the indigenous communities. And I never really understood that because my whole life I was surrounded by black people. Like, my brothers and sisters are black. 
I never saw a difference between us. And when I had to go into that predominantly white space, the closest thing to my culture in that space was black culture. And they, my black brothers and sisters opened their arms to me. They took care of me. They told me to be unapologetically myself and to never apologize to anybody for what I, for my, my, where I come from and who I am. And that's a gift that was given to me that I don't know what I would do without. And to enter in when I went, when I moved to Standing Rock and to see the amount of anti-blackness in our communities, it broke my heart. I, I, it broke my heart to see my own people not identifying our, our privilege as light-skinned people in this country. And I, 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 when you said that, that's what that kind of brought up for me. And, and I just, not, not only to you, I want to share this with any young uh, a black, indigenous, or brown person out there. Uh, one of our grandmas from uh, Lower Brule once told us that it's not a coincidence that we are the same color as the earth. Mm. There's not a coincidence. We are the people, we are the protectors of her. And the black community, the brown communities, if we don't come together and we don't come together fast, things are going to be really difficult for us. Yes, and I feel like you know, like I, I felt that when you told me that, and 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 I, I, I want to re- also say that, like, in no way do I ever see myself above anybody. I am not a climate celebrity. I have no interest in being a climate celebrity. I am a warrior, and I stand on the ground next to you, not in front of you, not behind you, but next to you. And I feel like that's really how I wanted to respond to that. So no. Man, this is if if you are just tuning in, man, this right here is an amazing. You're late. If you're just tuning in, you're late. You just, <laughs> re- rewind and and this this replay this over and over again. A lot of things are being said here. Let's actually go back to Standing Rock. Let's 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 go there. That's a that was a major, yeah, important moment uh, for the movement. For those who you know uh, don't know what that is, uh, tell them what was Standing Rock as far as. Um, as far as the um, um, uh, the fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline, yeah. So um, I'm going to start this story. It's it's June of 2016, right? And I had just graduated from college. I um, thought I was going to get this amazing job, and like I was going to start paying my student loans, and I was going to be awesome. Didn't happen. I ended up working at American Apparel and then they went out of business and I was like closing this store and just sitting there like, what am I doing with my life? And then all of my cousins and sisters and brothers started telling me about these young people who were running from North Dakota all the way to Washington, D.C. to deliver a a handful of letters and petitions asking at that time President Obama to honor his word when he told them that he would do everything in his power to protect them and and to make sure that the Dakota Access Pipeline did not go through their land. Unfortunately, President Obama um, wouldn't even see them. He turned them away. They weren't even allowed to go into the White House at all. And at that point, these young people ran all the way back to North Dakota. And when they ran back to North Dakota, they made the call for all young people who breathed air, all young people who drank water, all young people who need the earth to exist, 
to come to Standing Rock and to make a stand against the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. The Dakota Access Pipeline is a pipeline that stems from Canada all the way down to um, Louisiana, and it crosses uh, over uh, the Missouri and Cannonball Rivers, um, which uh, they call the Cannonball River the Cannonball River because if you dig deep enough, you'll find what are perfectly round, um, what seem to be rocks, um, what our stories in indigenous culture tell us is they're actually turtle eggs because if you know anything about turtles, they lay their eggs right where two streams kind of go past each other. And so it's a really sacred place for us. Um, we don't actually call this North America. We call this Turtle Island. Mm. And so um, that, 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 that crossing is very, very important, not only to those people, but to millions of people downstream who rely on that water source for water. Um, so originally, this pipeline was supposed to go through Bismarck, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. If any of you have ever been to Bismarck, Bismarck is an upper-class white community. And of course, the community rised, rose to the occasion immediately and said, absolutely not. This will poison our water, our land, and our health is going to be at risk. So what did they do? They they moved it just a little bit down so that it went through uh, Lakota land and ceded territory. And so these young people asked everyone to come and to make that stand. And when I heard about that, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, these kids, these young people were like 15, 16, 17. And, and I, 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 I could not justify sitting there and selling people things that they did not need. I, and while my people were- Even at discount. Even at a discount. Oh, at, like a, at like a 95% discount. I mean, if you ever shopped yeah, at American Apparel. There, it was- Lit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I I just couldn't justify it anymore. And so I (laughs) quit quit the job. I packed up all my stuff. And I, what was supposed to just be like a little weekend trip, I spent like $300 getting supplies. I just wanted to take them and drop them off. And once I got there, it was unlike anything I had ever imagined. I um take your time, take your time. I miss it. I miss it a lot. I don't say that a lot because it's hard for me to think about. But I've never um I'd never been in a room and um I've i I'd never been in a room surrounded by people that looked just like me. Um I'd always been in rooms um, with white kids and with um, with my black sisters and brothers, and always felt like, okay, obviously I'm don't really fit in here. But it was so interesting because there was a point where there were about fifteen of us in a circle, and we were just chilling. Um, our sister walks in. My 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 biological sister walks in, and she's like, "Toma, wait, Toma, Toma, Toma." <laughs> Tomas, and, she, and like, and that had never happened to me before. Like, like getting mixed up. Like, like usually people walk in, and I'm the fly in the milk. You know, like there he is. <laughs> so it was a really cool thing, but also to be completely immersed in 
in our indigenous culture mm. and, you know, to go to mm. sleep and hearing the different tribes sing their different songs from different directions, you know, if you could make a war call from one end of the camp and it would just make its way across the entire camp like wildfire. It was a beautiful thing, you know, uh, eating food that was not tainted, eating meat that was that was grass-fed, that had been hunted, and that had there was a relationship that was established with it before it was killed. You know, all of these beautiful things being taught how to skin, how to put up a buffalo, how to skin that buffalo, how to use every part of that buffalo, being exposed to cultures from across the Minnesota from across the, mm. the, the great ocean, you know, meeting people from cultures I didn't even know existed. It was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever experienced. But with that, usually the most beautiful things in life also have a lot of darkness to them. And while we were in Standing Rock, I, I met a group called the International Indigenous Youth Council, which realistically, they're pretty much all my cousins, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> They told I. They asked me to join them, and I, I. I at that time I was like 23, and I was like, I can't. I'm too old. Like I already graduated college. What do you mean? I'm not a youth. And they were like, they like laughed at me, and they just told me like, well, if you were to walk into an elders meeting, do you think that they would let you speak? And I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I and I kind of realized that my younger brothers and sisters needed a little bit of help. That they needed help getting into these spaces. They needed somebody to be that foot down to these elders because they were scared to speak up to them. They were scared to say things to them. And I fell in love with these young people. And I I realized like just because I may be older than you, it doesn't mean that you don't have something to teach me. It doesn't mean that I don't have something to learn from you. And it doesn't mean that you are any less important in this movement. And I realized this is where the, this is where it was. And it was on one of my first nights when I met uh, two young sisters named Jace Lynn and Jace Leah Charger. And they were two of the young women who were really, um, really key, key players and key, key members of this, of this um, movement that called the young people there. And Jace Lynn and I were sitting there one night and she looked at me and she said, Tomas, who better to speak for the past than the voice of the future. Mm. And that resonated me in, in, inside of me in every bone in my body. I, I felt it. I, I realized that even though I'm older, it doesn't mean that I don't have a place in this. It doesn't mean that I, you know, that, that I, I can't I just, just let them do it. No, we all have a, a, a role to play. We are, no matter how big, no matter how small, and everybody's role looks different. Uh, that night, I was also told, um, I was told a, an ancient story uh, of the black snake in the seventh generation. Tell that, tell, tell that story. Yeah. So it was prophesied seven generations ago that um, one day a black snake would come to the land, that this black snake would infect the land, the water, the air, the fire. But not only would it infect that, it would infect the people, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, our spirits. And I see the black snake. It's here. I see it in our children and our youth. Our suicide rates are, are higher than any other marginalized community in the world. I see it in 
the, the drug and alcohol abuse in our communities, but I also see it in the pipelines and the fracking and all of the extractive industries and extractive um, ways that are being used. But they also told me that it would be the seventh generation that would bring that ancient medicine back to the people that would unite the seven generations that came before them, that would unite all corners of the medicine wheel to be the spear point to kill the black snake. Come on. And I'm honored. I'm honored to tell all of my young brothers and sisters we're living that prophecy out now. This is the seventh generation. I'm honored to tell when I look at these young people and I speak to them and I look at them in their eyes, I'm honored to tell you that you were prophesized about. You, your ancestors put prayers and tobacco down because they knew, they knew that you were going to be here. They knew that you were going to struggle. They knew that you were going to ask these questions, but they knew that you had the power to change it. Seven generations. And if that doesn't show the power of intention, the power of your words, of your thoughts, I don't know what does. And, and I really am honored to stand next to these young people. Man, come on. Man, somebody in the audience make some noise. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, man. Well, that, was, that was pretty good, Thomas. That was a pretty good story. <laughs> Thank you. Vic, can we, we have a couple more before we wrap up. Uh, anything you want to add? I, I have actually, I want, I want to get to some of the, the climate strike, strike <laughs> and things. Actually, let's get to that. I think he might have a good response to what he says. Okay. So, yeah. So, actually, so, so, Tomas, so fast forward from Standing Rock, we're now at climate strikes. What are your thoughts? Because on the climate strike, um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, after Standing Rock, uh, we, we, we all realized we were all from different communities and we had started this beautiful group that we just, we knew in our hearts we couldn't just let it die. We lit a fire and they tried to put it out and maybe that fire went out, but the embers from that fire, they rose and they landed all over the world and they started more fires and we felt that. We knew that we had this fire. Our fireplace in the youth council in the youth council camp was literally started because we went to the sacred fire and stole coals. Shh. But how like <laughs> how like metaphoric is that? You know, like the youth sneaking up to the old ways, having to take them and bring them to another place to build our own. That's so metaphoric. And we did that. And so we realized our own communities need help. Yes, Standing Rock needs to be talked about. And those young people deserve to be, to be given the microphone. They deserve to be talked about. They deserve to be honored. But we realized that our own homes were suffering. The Diné Nation has gone without clean water for four decades. They have, they, they, they have, the water that they shower with, they also use to clean the floors with because they, that's all that they get. They bring, they bring them water in old oil tankards. Like these people and this 2019 that's happening. You know, the people don't realize we, how many people drink Starbucks every day. Starbucks is in, t in contract with Nestle. Nestle stills First Nation in the Northern people's water. Alberta, Canada, you can look it up. This is all real. They have t said many times, we do not give you permission to take our water. 
Yet Nestle does it anyway because they know that they can. We realized that there were our own issues in our own backyards that we needed to identify and we needed to start tackling. The fracking here in Colorado is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm going to bet that I would say in the next five years, we're going to start experiencing earthquakes. Um, And so we moved into Denver. When we came to Denver, I started, we started really identifying who everybody in our community was. We tried to lay low. We tried not to really make a huge splash. First, we kind of wanted to map everything out. Who is everybody? Who are our allies? Who can we trust? Who can we not trust? And I will say this, I'm sure you've experienced this. A lot of groups think, oh, they're youth. They must be naive. And we get that a lot. But they don't realize we are not naive. We are not stupid. We know when we're being used and we know when we're being tokenized. And we are at the point now where we will walk away before we're ever put in that situation. And so we started working with a group called 350 Colorado. And 350 Colorado is really an amazing organization. They really, they're obviously a lot of white people, but they are actively working on identifying that privilege and identifying in what ways they can be allies, in what ways they can bring people of color, put them in positions of power where they're planning, where they're making the decisions. And I really, we really appreciated that. So 350 and Earth Guardians was entrusted with running the um, climate strike. So I went to my first climate strike in like uh, March and I was like, what? <laughs> I could not believe how white it was after, you know, being so involved with Standing Rock and after, you know, doing, working with all these amazing groups of POC youth and then coming to my own backyard and realizing, oh my God, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is not okay. Like this, I do not feel, I am not okay with this. Mm-hmm. Like, we shouldn't, this should not be a group of all white kids from Boulder talking, which I I love my kids from Boulder, you know, don't get me wrong, but like, there's just a, there's a huge level of privilege in this city that these people and these young people don't quite understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming from not only inner city culture, but also indigenous culture, I just realized, no, this is not okay. And I have to do something about this. So I, I, kind of forced myself onto the planning committee and I started really just kind of being myself and saying, all right, who, uh, how, how are we doing this? All right, we're going to open with a prayer, acknowledge the people. We're going to have our indigenous women, our black women. And what people also don't know about the youth council is that one of our main um, board members that has really helped us uh, catapult this organization into the level that we're at now is a black woman. And she has been my bet, my sister since we were in sixth grade, and she loves us. And she, you know, I, I think a lot of people, they kind of get taken back by that because they think, oh, indigenous youth, it's only indigenous people. Absolutely not. Hmm. We accept people of all colors, of all races, but at the end of the day, it's up to the indigenous youth to choose who can come right. into their safe space. And so, um, and we love Simone. Simone Johnson is an amazing person. And she actually went to CU Boulder here and, and she learned a lot here. And all of those, those things that she learned there, she's brought to the youth council. And so I started organizing with Denver and immediately they changed, immediately. They went from being all a group of white kids and me speaking to 
indigenous people from start to finish. I love when we do that. When we just come in, we're like, nope. <laughs> but, but, what was, but what was really good about it is that the young people who had been doing it felt good about it. Mm-hmm. And so I joined the Denver Strikes and um, the one that we had on the 20th was completely focused on climate justice is social justice. You cannot talk about climate justice without talking about racism. So the entire strike was missing and murdered indigenous women and black women that have been killed while in police custody Mm. and migrant women that are currently locked up in ICE facilities. How does that pertain to climate? Everybody asked. Like, what does that have to do with this? It has everything to do with climate because the same banks that are funding the fracking, the pipelines, all of these different extractive industries are the same banks that are funding the privatized prisons that are locking up our black women and killing them at an exponential rate. They're the same banks that are funding the ICE detention centers and building this wall. And they're the same banks that are funding the pipelines and the man camps that are going through indigenous lands and kidnapping and murdering our women and selling them into sex trade. It's all connected, and there's no way that you can have this conversation without having that conversation. That's right. And we ended up, the whole thing from start to finish was completely about that. And we all left feeling so good. When I looked out into that crowd, I saw majority black and brown kids, and it made me feel good. It made me feel like this is the, the earth Colors, the colors of mm-hmm. every of every direction are here. And that's how the change is to be made. And then when I stepped away and I joined the national effort, I realized that is not how it was anywhere else. We're going to have to, man, Tomas, we want, man, there's so much said there. Um, so clearly, it's going to be a, a part two. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say one one no, no. final thing on that oh, one. And, uh, say your final thing and also say your song. Yeah. So um, this movement has to be selfless. Mm. This movement should not have a face. Climate celebrities should not be a thing. There is no room for climate celebrities, whether they're white, black, mm. indigenous. It, no, that should never have been a thing. And I, whilst Greta herself is a beautiful young woman. I am appalled by the adults that are standing behind her. Mm. I am disgusted with them. And I am absolutely hurt by what they did to us here in Denver. And I want that to be very, very clearly expressed because I have been dealing with depression and anxiety ever since she came here. And I really want that to be known because if me, the strong person that I am, left that strike feeling like that, I can only imagine what my little brothers and sisters left feeling like. So I want that to be known because it's something that really bothers me right now. Well, you have guaranteed yourself a part two <laughs> on, on that. I um, need to be back for those. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We are, we are, we are, <laughs> That, that, may be the, that may be the Skype version that we may have to do to fill it in. So definitely our producers listening, make sure, because we can't end uh, so much on that. But I think that um, what you said there and what all you said have been amazing, Tomas. Thank you. What you got to say, your song. My what? Your oh. song. My favorite song that gets me riled up is FTP by NWA. Come on! Uh, yep. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yep. uh, I, I won't sing that song tonight, <laughs> but I'm all, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all with you. I mean, I wore my Frontline's finest today. Yeah, so you as know, you can actually, tell, you're, like... looking, you're looking fly. You're looking, looking definitely fly. 
Vic, you too. Thank you. I, I wear the same thing I always wear, so you know, it's not too much going on this side of the aisle. Uh, Tomas, thank you, my brother. Thank you so much uh, for having and, me. And let me say this to you and and Vic. Thank you for obviously you know you've you've now got a spot. You know you've got to be our special co-host on the regular, so that that, that will happen on numerous occasions. Definitely when we bring Tomas back to finish that conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. I can't leave me hanging like that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but um, I just want to say to you both, um, um, as the, the the as the old cog um, in this Gen Z Gen X production with Think One Percent, I just want to say to y'all um, that I know that there are people out there who um, will do things to you and say things to you. That will hurt you to your core. But never forget why you're in this fight. Hmm. Never forget that. And continue to fight until you can't fight no more. Y'all are both warriors. And we need both of y'all. And with more like you, um, and we just grow and grow, then I know, and I say this every single time, that organized people beats organized money Mm. every single time. And on that, you've been listening to Think 1%, the coolest show <laughs> on climate change. Good night, y'all. Good night. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a nonprofit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. Think 100, think 100.